Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 408 with my guest Chris Mancini. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, The show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, The website for this show and any of the social media handles is uh, mentalpod. That would be mentalpod.com. At mentalpod on uh, all the social media things. There There has to have been a more succinct way to say that, and I don't know what it would be, and I'm not going back to try to fix it. How do you like that? I've given up 49 seconds into this episode. Um, Had an up and down week this week, um, as opposed to had an up and down week, uh, well, I guess it could be had an up and down week last week. God, there's some days I'm just so tired of my own voice. Um... I'll give you some of the highlights. Uh, been just up way too late at night, getting tired of that. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just skip my second dose of Adderall and f- promptly fell asleep at 10 o'clock at night, was super excited and uh, woke up just uh, extremely depressed the next day, tired um And just when I'm tired and the depression comes in, especially that fall depression, which is just the, you know, it's the front row at the Oscars version of, (laughs) of depression. It, uh, it just, it colors all of my thoughts and feelings about everything. And then I start future tripping, you know, I'm like, oh, there's so much disagreement in this country where we must be on the brink of civil war and then oh you think you're happy in your relationship but you're just fooling yourself because you're not normal enough to know what 
love is really like. You're just setting yourself up for a fall. And I'm getting my elbow operated on Monday, and I'm thinking, you're, you're going to do something stupid and fall and injure it and because you're afraid to ask for help. And that's when I was like, this is when support groups come in handy. Um, and I knew, I knew my brain was fucking with me, but I also know that I can't sometimes, uh, calm down the brain that is spinning with the brain that is spinning. So, uh, you know, I need to reach out and I reached out and made a phone call to one of my support group buddies. He's a mentor to me. And, uh, first thing he said was, he goes, Hey, None of us probably really know what love is, but we're just trying. And that was, that was good enough for me that we don't, I think one of the things that fucks with us is this feeling like we have to have an answer for everything and that we can't relax until we know, you know, we're getting an A or an F in whatever it is that we're trying to do. So that we can then assign a grade to ourselves as a human being. And that is, oh my God, it is so exhausting. It's so exhausting. Anyway, uh, I want to read a couple of surveys before we get to the interview with uh, with Chris. This was filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Family Goals. And it's an awful moment. She writes, I was always very popular with boys, even though I struggled a lot with my self-esteem. And I wasn't very confident. Somehow, there was always a line of guys trying to get me. My beautiful younger sister, who had no luck with the opposite sex, decided to ask me for advice. It went like this. How do you get all this? How do you get all these guys to love you? You're not that pretty. Oh, my God. That is... There aren't words. There aren't words for that. Um, this is an email that I got from uh, a woman who wants to be referred to as Rachel. And she writes, I'm not sure if this has already been discussed on the show, but do you have any advice on how to forgive someone who doesn't ask for your forgiveness or apologize? Someone with no remorse or even empathy for what they put you through. Maybe they're a sociopath. Whatever the case, how do you move on and put your mind at ease? And uh, I wrote back, uh, Rachel, I think the first thing to ask is, do you want to forgive them or do you feel like you should forgive them? Because to me, feeling like you should forgive someone is often some type of guilt trip put on us by someone else and frankly, fuck them. Your feelings are your feelings. You know, in my experience, forgiveness can only come as a result of processing the anger and then the peace that sometimes comes with it dissipating or disappearing. I've never been able to will myself into truly forgiving someone. Uh, when someone has apologized to me, it usually accomplishes that. But uh, like you, it often has to do with someone who has no intention of apologizing, or it's a half-assed, half-assed uh, apology. For me, I had to look at why what they did bothered me so much. You know, people do shitty things and it hurts, but to really let it go, I have to ask myself, is it possible it's not personal and this is just a sick person? That helps. 
often. Uh, I sometimes picture a dog that bites or imagine that person as a four-year-old in an adult body acting out of fear and ignorance. Then I'm usually able to find some gratitude that I'm not them, at least not in that moment, because I realize I have sometimes been the biting dog or the child in an adult body. I also sometimes look at it as an opportunity to ask myself, is it possible to learn something from this or grow in some way? And usually the answer is yes. And then I'm able to find a silver lining, but obviously some circumstances are easier than others. And this is not to let that other person off the hook, um, but that's how forgiveness has worked for me. Um, you know, you are not a bad person if you aren't ready to forgive someone. But if there's hate inside you, it can sap your energy and negatively impact your life, sometimes worse than the event itself. But we feel what we feel, and it's been really helpful for me to journal or talk through this with a therapist or support group person or any emotionally intelligent friend. But what a great subject, and uh, thank you for reaching out. And then she responded, you are so spot on with your first sentence, 100% what happened to me recently. Someone else was trying to force this person back into my life, and now they're pissed at me for saying no way. F that. Thank you for that, Rachel. This is a happy moment filled out by uh, Bratney. And uh, she writes, my mother has recently started dating after 15 years of being single and has crossed many boundaries with sharing information with inappropriate people such as my younger siblings and I about her dates and who she is sleeping with. Um, and in parentheses, that's not the happy part. But I had a moment that made me happy when I was telling my younger brother that what she is doing is crossing a boundary. And he said, uh, what's a boundary? All I know is out of bounds, like in sports. Uh, and I realized that not everyone knows what setting boundaries means. And I had this moment where I got to explain to my brother what boundaries are and how it was something that I learned in therapy. I also got to share that it was something that has been so important in my recovery. I felt as if all my treatment and hard work paid off because I got to help someone close to me set boundaries with my mom about what is appropriate to talk about in regards to her dating life. It's a small moment, but how cool that I got to share something that has made my quality of life and mental stability that much greater. That's so awesome. That's so awesome, man. That, to me, is just, that's what recovery looks like, is just little little tiny victories every day and then not shaming ourselves when we have the setbacks but trying to you know learn from it or grow from it or you know go through the awkwardness of an apology or you know etc etc goodbye triple layer cakes uh his uh, awful some moment just recently got diagnosed guy diagnosed yes that's when they look at your nose and they draw a diagonal on it, and then they spin uh, that diagonal, a little pinwheel that they put on your nose, and then they come up with whatever they think is wrong with you. A lot of people don't know that. Just recently got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I get to add this to my list, which already includes anxiety, depression, significant social phobia, being overweight, and psoriasis. Yet, I believe... I'm still luckier than the guy who ended up marrying my ex-girlfriend. Thank you for that. That really uh, that made me smile. Um, 
I want to give some love to uh, our sponsor, uh, Calm.com. I don't know if you guys have ever checked out the uh, the app Calm, but uh, it's interesting because it's an app that can be on your phone, but it is like the opposite of being on your phone because it it's about being president a president <laughs> it's about being yes it's about being president it will help you garner votes it will petition for you uh no it helps you um with your mindfulness with finding ways to uh relax your brain to be more present uh, it helps with anxiety um it helps with um being tired it helps with a lot of things, but um, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash mental, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, they're awesome, bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your mind and relax your body. Head to the lavender fields of France with Stephen Fry, his voice is amazing, or explore New Zealand with Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. You also get to access uh, guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, soothing music, and more. So for a limited time, you guys, the listeners, can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash mental. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash mental. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content, that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time. Get started today at calm.com slash mental, then get to sleep. All right. And then finally, here's an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself AIM of the North. And she writes, the first time I took a chance and sought help, real, I mean it this time help for my eating disorder, it landed me in a small couch-filled room with a few therapists and 10 or 12 other group members sitting in a circle. It's the first day, morning check-in. I've never been in this kind of setting before. I'm broken and lost and terrified. I'm sitting in a scrunched-up, walls-up, unblinking position as the person to my left starts talking. Thankfully, the turn-based approach moved counterclockwise, which meant I would be the last to check in. I wasn't expecting this, but I will remember this moment, those feelings, for the rest of my life. As each person talked, the words were able to penetrate my walls more and more. Each person's words seeped through my fear and pain, and there was undeniable, beautiful, unexpected recognition, an immense oncoming feeling of relief. And with it, the realization that I had felt completely alone. As my turn came closer and closer, my throat had tightened shut with emotion. I started to shake, and tears started to silently well. And when someone offered me my turn, all I could do was finally, helplessly let it out. I cried, startled by the noise of it, not even embarrassed, but in a state of shock and genuine awe. I didn't have to hold it in anymore. So when I was finally able to manage one stuttering, shaking sentence, it was, I didn't know other people felt the same way. And that was all I could say. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. 
It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people-pleasing, dread. Silent, invisible, just wailing. Stuck in the grip of the obsession. Derealization, depersonalization. The suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get. You know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scarface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. Through vulnerability, uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield, and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> I'm here with uh, my friend Chris Mancini. We've known each other for probably 20 years. Uh, you're a fellow stand-up comedian. You're an author. You're a director, a writer. Um, people probably know you as the uh, co-host of uh, Comedy Film Nerds with uh, with Graham Elwood, who was a guest on, on this show. Um, so let's talk about your uh, personal mental and or emotional struggles in, in the past and, and present. Anxiety is kind of a, a, a thing that you have uh, dealt with, depression. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've suffered from anxiety, um, depression's bastard cousin. So, and they always show up at the party together. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jeez. And they're always uninvited. Like, who invited always. anxiety and depression? It's yes. Like, oh, That's so funny. I was know. just talking to, to my therapist today, and I've been struggling with shame. And I was like, shame is like this uninvited house guest that won't leave. Well, the driver. Yeah. You know, uh, depression and anxiety come driven by shame. Oh, to the party. yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So I was like, hey, where's the party? Where are the nachos? You know, like, Come on, we're going to take over everything. Uh, so it, it's interesting. I had never suffered from it uh, until my mid-30s, until I was an adult. Like, it wasn't something like, oh, I've had all my life. And um, what really triggered it for me was becoming a father. I really felt like I think like that's it. just logic. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely um, overboard on uh, the anxiety for becoming a father. And uh, that's um, when you first suffer from any type of mental illness. The interesting thing was looking back on it is I didn't know what it was. Like you don't recognize it. You, you think it's reality. You think it's reality. Yeah, you don't understand that there's something wrong. You understand that something doesn't seem right, but you don't understand what it is. And I didn't know what it was until I was talking to some friends and about you know well that's you should go to a psychiatrist. And uh, I was so freaked out and scared about being a father. It just it it um, took over my life. I couldn't you know I couldn't think straight. I I was you know having breakdowns and it was it was not so hold, a good scene. Hold that thought right there. Mm -hmm. Give me the litany of fears you had, no matter how irrational, about being a it, father. It was just one big one. It was. It felt like my life is over now. Once I have, because uh, it's like the one decision you make and the one thing you do that you can't go back from. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it's. Uh, I Did joke about men always have like like to have an escape plan, right? <laughs> but once you make another human being, that's it. Well, you're, some you're, people don't don't care. <laughs> but, yeah, 
Um, you know, there's, uh, there's no going back from that. Did you circle a date on your calendar when your life would officially be over? (laughs) It was, it was, it really felt like that. It felt like the doomsday clock. It really felt like it was a, you know, the final countdown. And, uh, I went to the psychiatrist and I went on, um, was it, I'm sorry to keep, uh, no, no, please do. Was it that you felt like your freedom, the freedoms you enjoyed as a non-parent were going to be there that your time to enjoy your hobbies um, or was it also fear of being a committed relationship for the rest of your life? What what specifically was it that it your was, life would be over? It was interesting. It, w- it wasn't anything really with the relationship with my wife. It was more along the lines of, well, once there's a child, I'm not going to get to do anything ever again, ever. It was that irrational fear of like, you know, your life doesn't change. Your life ends. Like yes. literally, okay. I can't go out. I can't watch TV. I can't have one minute to myself and I can't, um, do anything. I can't work. I can't literally like all these irrational things that, you know, are ridiculous, but when you're feeling them, they feel real. And, and for somebody who has an addictive personality, that black and white thinking always, almost always goes with it. It's binary. Yeah. One or zero. Yes. I'm the king or I'm a pauper. Right. There's no in between. Yeah. And it was, um, it was one of those weird things where then when I finally realized that that's what I was suffering from, that I went to a psychiatrist and he got me on the mood elevators, those SSRIs, Mm -hmm. I believe what they're called. The, uh, it was a Zoloft and it started to even me out. And then I started to uh, feel better about uh, everything. And that's the kind of thing what it does is, uh, you know, when you're having these irrational fears, um, it it happens to be like, uh, it's not just one thing, it's everything. Yeah. You know, and it's not just like, okay, well, this is, no, it's it's everything. My whole life is, is going to be gone. And, and prioritizing gets very, very murky. So yes. it's like not being able to find your car keys is right up there with, uh, you know, I... I have a tumor yes yeah especially with uh um you know i haven't suffered as much from depression but with anxiety that's definitely what it feels like every little thing feels like the end of the world and um even when logically you're like you 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 know your brain says no this is how you should be reacting but the rest of your body goes nope that's not what we're doing today. Yeah, this is- <laughs> it's, it's like the fight or flight part of your brain yeah. is taken over the executive part of your brain. Yes, we're just going to pump a bunch of adrenaline for uh, the next six months. Just see so, how it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see if the, see if that'll get some of that yeah. weight off. And uh, <laughs> exactly. And and uh, one of the things that uh, did happen is when it hit me and it turned around is when you finally hold your baby in your arms. You know this cute little baby. You realize this is what I was afraid of the entire thing. And then all of a sudden it just kind of clicked. So it wasn't Mm. nearly as bad. And then I was able to get off the meds and, you know, kind of accept my new role as father and and, and into my new life. And uh, I actually wrote a book about it. So Mm -hmm. that's uh, I wrote Pacify Me, a handbook for the freaked out new dad. It came out from uh, Simon & Schuster. And it it kind of goes through this... uh, entire journey that I took from being terrified of being a father to the point where I had to be on medication to actually loving and enjoying the role. And uh, in fact, the name of the book originally was My Life is Over. The publisher was like, well, it's a little too negative. So why don't we change it to Pacify Me, a handbook for the freaked out new dad. Although, you know, the thing about with anxiety and depression, sometimes it comes back when you least expect it. Yeah. So that happened to me, like my daughter is going to be about 13, so I'd actually been feeling okay, 
until uh, the last year or two when the anxiety just came back, that generalized anxiety of like, uh, you know, everything's, um, you know, can't find my car keys is the same as a tumor. And I'm like, oh, but I recognized it this time. This because I had gone through it before. So I'm like, oh, this is anxiety. This is, I understand what this is now. So I need to go get help again. However, it got a lot more complicated this time because my body decided then I'm no longer going to tolerate the medication. Mm. So what happened was the um, any type of drug in that class, those SSRIs, now would increase my anxiety instead of lessen it. Oh, that, so, was, that was a fun discovery. Huh? Oh, my gosh. That was great. I told my doctor, I said, look, when I wanted something for anxiety, I didn't mean I wanted more. <laughs> Should have been more specific. <laughs> That's what he said. Should have been more specific. <laughs> I want something for anxiety. <laughs> so um, basically, I became a chemistry experiment. It's like, all right, well, this didn't work. Let's try this. But it turns out uh, the entire class of drug was not working on me. So... Uh, I started getting worse. The drugs were actually making me worse instead of better. So, um, and anybody listening that hasn't experienced meds, every person is a little bit different, and so there is no hard and fast rule for the way that any one medication will affect people. So, don't ever let somebody's experience with meds influence your decision to talk to a qualified uh, psychiatrist. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it's it's one of those things, too, where also our bodies change. Like yes. a medicine that I was able to tolerate 13 years ago, mm-hmm. now I can't. Which Or they just become less effective as time goes on, and you need to try something else. That's, right. I've had that happen probably seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's frustrating. It's immensely frustrating, and it's also... You wonder, too, like, well, what's changed in my body? Why am I not reacting the same way? Why am I not getting better the way I did before or whatever? And that's that's what was, I think, the most frustrated. And, and, and uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Right, right. You know, don't, so, so many of us want to find the reason why something's not working before we get help. It's like we want to be our own psychiatrist, which completely defeats the point. Of getting help, always, always let your psychiatrist, your psychiatrist, know as many things as you can about what is going on with you, because then he or she can make a much more informed decision. There's a reason there's stuff on their walls. <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, they've been through it a few times. I even told him, my psychiatrist, I said, look, you know, is this has this happened before? He goes, you know, I've been doing this a long time. There's no first times for me anymore. This is I've I've seen this before. So what we're doing is just trying different combinations and uh, um, of everything from sedatives to you know anti-anxiety medication that aren't in that class of medicine that uh, gave me such a horrible reaction. So so what did wind up working? So we're still kind of experimenting right now, but right now the things that are working are the uh, the sedatives. But the problem with sedatives is you can't be on them for that long. Yes. So right now. Um, still kind of looking for a more long-term solution, mm-hmm. but right now it's stabilized and that's, you know, great advice. It's like, look, if one medication doesn't work, you know, work with your doctor to find something that doesn't. And what I've been doing is I've been working with a combination of my psychiatrist and my general practice, uh, doctor, mm-hmm. and they've been in conferring and figuring it out and I, it worked, you know, I stabilized and now I'm, I'm feeling a lot better now. Good, good. 
Or get the opinions of people at a flea market. A lot of yes. they, think, they think outside the box. And you can pick yeah. up a nice used camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, so psychiatrist or gypsy, whichever one you, uh, you think might help. <laughs> uh, what, what are some of the other big issues that you have uh, gone through in your in your life was was childhood uh, pretty nice it was okay i mean i it was my I mean, parents got com- divorced you're a comedian so yeah. there had to be in a lump in yeah, there somewhere yeah there's the comedian parents got divorced so it wasn't great but it was it wasn't something that i really suffered with until um you know like i never suffered from anxiety until the 30s with you know having my own child but was uh, their divorce amicable so yeah, kind of <laughs> they can be in the same room Boy, that and really travel sounds together. like you wanted it yeah, to be amicable yeah i, I i'm not sure uh, so it, some days it seems like it was some days it seems like it was was it made <laughs> so, clear to you so, that it had nothing to do with you so no they blamed the entire thing on me no <laughs> Which you found flattering yes, and horrifying. Yes, I was. Yeah, exactly. No, it actually happened later in life for me. Like, it was college, so it wasn't as oh, large okay. of a blow. I was already kind of moving on yeah. with my own life. So uh, it was the kind of thing where, okay, well, I guess I don't have to pick who to live with. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm already out. Um, but it, it's, yeah, for me, it really, it just started, like I said, in the... Uh, um, the mid uh, mid thirties for me. Well, if you can just what hold, was the other hold question on, hold again? on for a, for a second, because yeah. even though your parents didn't divorce until you were in college, mm-hmm. I would imagine the groundwork was laid for discontent between the two of them long before that, which kids can pick up on. Sure, you know what I mean. So but, oftentimes, yeah. I think the effect of that of it not mm-hmm. feeling stable right. to them um, is there before. For sure, yeah. There Before was definitely, that. yeah. There were there were there were some red flags and some yeah, warning any, signs. Any you want to share? <laughs> it was uh, just you know the. I think it's just the standard you know, yes. fighting, yelling, and and uh, not getting along. But also known as Christmas. Yes, <laughs> any any holiday. Uh, but what what I was thinking about, especially when you sent kind of like a uh, um, when you sent the the email about kind of what we would be talking about, and it made me think for a second, and actually made me laugh because. Uh, Sometimes you can look back on like what are the specific incidents that you know caused anxiety, and for me, one of the things that causes me anxiety is um, twenty years of not much happening so, <laughs> in my career. That's so a, that's a ba- back to anxiety. Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite of like, well, you know, things have, things could have been better in the career, and you know, I look back on the last twenty years and what decisions I could have made, or. You know, could I be further along? And I think I'm not the only comedian slash writer to think those thoughts. Uh, but it's definitely a source of anxiety for sure. Um, especially having a family. Yeah, especially when, when you have a family and, you know, nothing makes you uh, feel like an adult faster than being one. Then, you know, when there's other children in the house, when you're not the only one anymore, <laughs> regardless of age. Uh, and your uh, wife works, correct? Yes, she okay. does. She, uh, she works in biotech, ironically, is... Um, so uh, she definitely has her opinions on pharmaceuticals and medication as, uh, as Is she well. anti? So, um, no, but she, uh, she understands that uh, there's a lot of side effects to medications, yes. and she understands interactions and all those mm-hmm. things. And, and in fact, she um, also works, uh, interfaces directly with the FDA on a lot of these, mm. these issues. So she and, has uh, some perspective on that, which, is, which I, I, I've asked her opinion on, on stuff, too. Uh, 
but and, and I, also important to remember that there are side effects of having untreated mental illness. Yes, yeah, that's just an effect. I don't yeah. know if that's a side effect. <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's a main effect. That's a main event. Yeah. That's. <laughs> But I think that's, you know, if there was, if I could pick one thing that bothers me the most, that gives me the most anxiety, it would be probably where I am in my career. And it's one of those things, too, where I'm like, well, I'm a published author. We had a movie come out, and, you know, we're doing the podcast. And uh, I had a graphic novel fund on Kickstarter that I'm working on that just I'm telling stories. I got the new podcast out. But. Ultimately, you know, you look at it like, well, what could I have done work? What could I have not gone on the road? Could I have been a showrunner by now? Could I have, you know, worked on more shows? Could I have done more writing? And you, you, you second guess every single decision and you get frustrated because you don't have a time machine to go back and maybe try, you know, different things that you might have done differently. Um, but that's impossible, and you have to come to terms with where you are in your life. And and is it a matter of recognition or finances or both? I, you know what? It's it's a matter of, uh, I think, both. It's like you, you want to be further along, and with being further along comes a greater financial reward, for sure. Um, so I think they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but... I never got into this business to become like a bajillionaire, uh, but you know, how many zeros is yeah, that? Yeah, that's that's about a hundred, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I think my goal was always just to be in demand and working steady, and that's you know I haven't you know and to be respected and to be yeah respected for your art and what you do, and uh, and that's something that I I I feel it you know in my opinion I haven't reached so then that that's certainly a cause of anxiety. So, but you know, like I said, I've never had this conversation with any other comedian who's felt the same way. So, <laughs> <laughs> of course, Chris is being sarcastic. <laughs> I don't know anybody that, yes. that doesn't feel that way, and the ones that don't feel that way are so successful they don't hang out with me. Right. So, it's, uh, we're a community unto ourselves. <laughs> and this, one of the things that I think is. Uh, is so toxic about that uh, that rumination too. Is it cuts us off from other people, and then in many ways it it um it shuts the door on the one thing that could ease that kind of self obsessed fear, uh, which which is human connection. Yes, exactly. You know, you have that connection. You have that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I love doing the podcast, Comedy Film Nerds, with Graham. You know, I get to see another friendly face every single week. And we talk and we laugh and we, we have a good time. And would we like to add more zeros onto what we do? Of course we would. Absolutely. You'd but, settle for a zero. Yeah, I would settle for a zero. Yes. yes. I mean, having a single yeah. digit income yes. is just painful. Yeah, I would love to make four figures. So... <laughs> He's including after the decimal yes. point. Um, human connection, meaning, and purpose. Uh, I've never. I don't believe there's anything more important um, for people to find peace in the world. I just. I don't know anybody who experiences peace consistently in their life that doesn't have some type of meaning and purpose where they get outside of themselves and try to do something to make the world a better place. There's somebody in a cave in Tibet somewhere that would probably disagree. But like, he's a dick. Yeah. That guy's such a dick. 
<laughs> doesn't let people visit. Then when he does, he doesn't give them advice. And he always <laughs> smells like yak cheese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a good porn name, yak cheese. Yak cheese, yeah. And the award goes to... <laughs> yak cheese. <laughs> and they just hear a distant mountain horn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's on his way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else uh, would you would you like to uh, share about? I, I cut you off as you were about to uh, go further along with with something because I had so many questions along the. Uh, I think the, that's where I was going. The recognition to was the, uh, the what, financial stuff. What was career stuff for sure? Yeah. Now, you know, if I get into the personal side, it's um, you worry about your kids. Those yes. that's a constant anxiety. Like you want them to do well. You want them to be comfortable. You don't want them to ever get hurt. You don't want, you know, mentally or physically. You don't want them to be bullied, but you don't want them to fall out of a tree either. You know. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, carried off by werewolves or anything, you know, any. What did you hear? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the rational fears and the irrational fears you have for your children. But, you know, sometimes too, it, and this, this happens as they get older. Like I have a, uh, you know, a 12 year old, she's, she's reaching her teen years. You begin to worry about, where they're going to be in the world. What's the world going to be like when they grow up? Where, what's their place in the world going to be? And, uh, you know, what are they going to grow up into? You see all the horrible stuff that's going on the news and, you know, type of political climate you, you worry. Then you also worry about, will they get, be able to get jobs and, mm -hmm. and all those things that you used to worry about just on yourself. Now you project onto your kids and, you know, and they, they just want to go to dance class and, you know, play baseball, but, you know, they want to be kids, but, you know, as, as adults looking out over them, you're like, oh gosh, what's going to happen in a year? Like what, what, you know, the high school we're zoned for is bad. Where are we going to send them to high school? There's like all these, um, fears and anxieties. And private school is incredibly year. expensive. Incredibly for for anything good. Yes, yeah. yes, it's really expensive. And uh, so then you you think, well, should we move? And well, was that the right decision? So all these are you moving? So we're not sure yet. Like okay. uh, my son finishes um, grade school the same year that my daughter finishes middle school. So if we did move, that would be the right time because they're both finishing up their schools like we're not pulling them out of anywhere i say just keep them out just pull yeah. them out and keep them out. school them just see what happens a lot of youtube they'll pick up some yeah. important stuff yeah what what <laughs> they they could learn all they need from the internet it's ridiculous this whole school thing so uh <laughs> actually there's some truth there is some truth to that but yeah but it's definitely a um a, a concern because you and I remember I was on another podcast and the host asked me a question about having children. It's like, well, the world is what it is and it's in such a sorry state of affairs right now. Why would you bring a children, a child into this world? And, you know, it's a cliched answer, but it's the, uh, it's the truth is because, you know, if we teach our children right with the right values, they're the ones that can change it. They're the ones that can actually make it better. So, and that's our hope for all our children is that they'll, uh, they'll clean up the mess that, uh, we, uh, didn't clean up. <laughs> Enjoy that debt future yeah, generations. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, we're leaving it for you. Yes. <laughs> and it's just going to get worse. Yep. <laughs> and the 1% will blame it on immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to worry about that. You were born here. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, um. I would be lying if I didn't say that there are days that I just 
wipe my brow and say, I'm so glad I didn't have kids. Uh, I'm so glad I'm the age I'm at because it's the doom part of my brain paints such a vivid picture. Right. And these last, uh, you know, couple of years have not done anything to dissuade that. No, things have definitely gotten worse. But, you know, and this is a kind of a Pollyanna view of it, though. I really feel like you have to hit that rock bottom before things can get better. And I think we're really close. We're really we close, close with the climate in this country with everything from politics to uh, uh, just uh, public discourse. Like, we're really at the point where something there's there's, you know, how much lower can we go at this point? It, it, things have to start getting better. Um you People know. have to become civically conscious. Yes, and they have to get more involved. And the way people get more involved is they get fed up with the way things are. So, but the thing that scares me is there's so much misinformation out there. There, there are so many um, uh, outlets for news where people just stay inside their own bubble and just get worked up into a bigger and bigger um, frenzy uh, with with mistruths. And I. Uh... One of the reactions I had to all of that is that, um, like, my my partner Graham does political vigilante, so he kind of rails on the politics and stuff. But I've done some shows with him. For, but yeah. for me, I always like to frame it in the form of a story. So I have an upcoming episode of Conversations from the Abyss where a president talks to a political operative. And they go through the philosophy of politics and where things are going. And it gets creepier and creepier and creepier as the conversation goes. But I think that one of the the problems is that uh, um, it's a matter of not only disinformation, it's a matter of just minds being closed. Like, well, no, I, I'm not getting disinformation. You're getting disinformation. You know, you're the one that's stupid, not me. Like, I'm getting all the truth. You're getting all the lies. Right. And there's no, there used to be that middle ground. And I, I, you know, you even see it from the politicians now, how fed up they are. It's like, look, you know, we used to be able to work together on stuff to get things done. Now, literally nothing is getting done. Mm -hmm. We're just breaking everything. Like everything, even policies that are in place, they're breaking, let alone getting things better. Like, like here, here's a good example. It's like, you know... <clears throat> we all want the Affordable Care Act to work better for everyone. Here's a list of improvements and changes. That was said by no politician ever, because that's the climate in Washington right mm -hmm. now. So I really feel like that's also adding to, I, I don't want to just say mine, but I think everyone's anxiety. Yeah, it is. Uh, I hate to make this, you know, an American issue because the audience that listens to this uh extends beyond that but you can't overestimate the the emotional and mental strain of not having a safety net right on on people yeah uh i'm going to lose my wife's uh health care uh shortly and i'm terrified i'm i'm like a you need the worst case scenario i've had like 15 <laughs> operations i take five different meds it's yeah. Yeah. You you need the Affordable Care Act. You you <clears throat> you I have need, to. Be I need a lot more. Than <laughs> but but you need an exchange or something like that yeah. where you could shop around for health insurance that's not employer based. Yeah. Like you know I, you know I'm married. My wife works for uh, a biotech company, and that's where we get our insurance. But even then, 
every year it gets worse. Yep. Like every year the deductibles are higher, we pay more, uh, less is covered. So, you know, we're we're in a downward spiral even when you have, quote, good insurance. It's mm-hmm. still costing more every single year. And especially with a family of four, it's I think we, we pay thousands of dollars in health care costs every year with healthy children. So, right. you know, my heart really goes out to anybody with unhealthy children because I know how much that will cost. Yeah. Uh, let alone the uh, mental and emotional toll. Of, yes. Of all of that. And I wanted to have you on to give some love to uh, this great new documentary that you and Graham produced called earbuds which uh is about the uh relationship between podcasters and podcast listeners um and can you can you t- talk about it absolutely um first of all great to be here yeah it would have been very awkward if you said you know i'd prefer not to yeah i think you're doing a fine job without me i think uh, keep please keep going um and like you said we've known each other for a while i remember um uh, when I met Graham, he introduced me to all the Chicago guys, and you guys are all very funny. You, Mike, uh, so Schmidt, what happened? And, and, uh, so what happened? Yeah, <laughs> 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 and, uh, part of it, it's, uh, it's something in the, the it's something with deep dish pizza and the water in Chicago. <laughs> and then I think the world went to hell. I'm just not sure. Something happened. Um, but anyway, the movie, it, it's we really wanted to explore that personal connection between podcaster and fan, because we wanted to make the documentary that focused on that, not about, oh, what's a podcast on how to podcast or interviews with famous podcasters. And we have those interviews in there, and they talk about podcasting, but that's not what the heart of the film is. The heart of the film is really that personal connection between the podcaster and the fan. And uh, one of the things that we discovered as we were also shooting the film, uh, a theme of mental illness came up. And uh, as uh, I'm sure listeners of your show know that you are in the film and talking about mental illness and uh, your podcast, uh, which is also a big part of the film, um, it was a theme that recurred. We weren't expecting it when it actually happened. When we would do these interviews, we would do like a call for fans to come out and talk about it. And every single city, somebody would say something about how a podcast got them through a tough time or how that personal connection really helped them. And Did you cut um, out the ones where somebody said, uh, this podcast pushed me to the brink? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, they, they ended up, uh, they're on the extras, the bonus features on the DVD, how podcasting hurt people. So... <laughs> And uh, and when we thought about it, like it, it seems surprising on its surface, but then when you think about it, it really isn't because mental illness is something you go through on your own, mm-hmm. and podcasts are something you do and you listen on your own. So those things kind of combine together. Um, you can see where there would be a connection where one would actually uh, help with the other. So um, now the one thing that we're very excited about, since it is a documentary, it took years to finish and years to get distributed. It is on all platforms now. It's on Amazon, iTunes, um, cable, satellite, so people can get it everywhere now. Like We used to just have it on uh, Comedy Film Nerds, but a lot of people were saying, well, I, I like using iTunes, I like using Amazon. So um, now that it, it it's distributed by a company called Comedy Dynamics, and now it's everywhere. So, okay. you can so get what's it everywhere. The, the easiest, uh, most popular way that people get it? It seemed to be Amazon and iTunes seem to be the uh, the, okay. the go-tos for people. I mean, it's also on some like uh, other places, like if you're a gamer, Steam, there's that mm-hmm. network. They have movies there, too. Google Play, they, it's mm-hmm. there. But honestly, it seems like you, the, the staples for their uh, 
you know, mm-hmm. iTunes and uh, Amazon. And they can uh, stream it or buy it? Um, it's it's for purchase only right now. Oh, okay. But well, when this airs, it might be streaming. I'm not sure. Okay. This, is gonna, this is going to air in 2027. Yeah, then it's probably going to be on Amazon Prime by then. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it? So I think it's uh, a couple bucks. It depends okay. on the platform. So yeah. not, not too hey, much. Hey, shop around if you want to save, save a buck. It, it doesn't yeah. bother us. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, what is the name of the podcast that you started that's kind of Twilight Zone-ish? Oh, that is called Conversations from the Abyss. And People go listen to that. And listen to comedy film nerds as yes. well, because you and Graham are true film nerds. We totally are. Totally um, are. We nerd out about movies every single week, and we love doing it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the uh, the new thing that you got, uh, Conversations from the Abyss, is really interesting, and I was... Uh, just so impressed with the uh, the writing. Thank uh, you. That you, it, it's do definitely it. a passion project for sure, and it was one of those things where I love telling stories, and I want to tell more stories, and I want to use the podcast platform for that. In fact, your episode uh, should be out in um, November. Mm-hmm. So, and it's uh, you and Dean Hagler did an amazing job about. Uh, uh, a man who um, is suicidal and he, death has a conversation with him about it, wants to know why. Yeah. And every episode is a complete story. So there's a serial killer who um, discusses compatibility with his victim. That's one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the comments was, I'll never look at Bill Dwyer the same way again. So, <laughs> so basically I, I have, uh, because that's my Rolodex as comedians, yeah. and I have them come in and do really creepy things. Yeah, like uh, Bill I, Dwyer, great, a great yeah. comedian. Yeah. <laughs> Mediocre golfer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and apparently plays a great serial killer. So, yeah. <laughs> And then we have um, Rick Overton as the devil who... Um, um, is interested in buying the soul of a, of a single mother, although uh, he's not quite convinced he wants to buy it yet. So they have that conversation of like, wait, you won't buy my soul? Why, why won't you buy my soul? Mm. What's wrong with my soul? Um, so, and that was with Jane Edith Wilson. So cool. um, it's been, it's a passion project. It's, it's something I've always wanted to do. And um, it is now out there. It's called Conversations from the Abyss. And if you're a fan of the Twilight Zone or any of those mm-hmm. ra- scripted radio dramas, I think you'll you'll yeah, dig it. Definitely, and, and I'll put and links up to to all of these things that we're please, uh, talking about. Please do. Please uh, check it out. And it's all free, <laughs> except for comedy film, now, yeah. or except for uh, uh, earbuds. <laughs> yes, except for earbuds. That's Eventually, we'd like you to pay for something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, That's we the podcast make a living. model. Yeah. yeah. Make a living. You get a lot of stuff for free, but eventually we'd like you to uh, go into the uh, wallet for Help a, us out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we can't pay the rent by going, hey, listen to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what other things uh, would you would you like to touch on, or do you feel like we've touched on all the big ones? You know, I think we've... Uh, I actually gave it some thought before I came in here, yeah. and I think we've uh, we've definitely hit on them for sure. So Good. well, uh, I appreciate you coming by and and doing everything that that you do. I appreciate you having me be a part of the uh, the uh, the film. And uh, absolutely, I'm uh, did a fine job. By the I'm, way, I'm really <laughs> excited for um, conversations from the abyss. I think uh, I think it's going to catch on, and people yes. are going to really dig it. Yep, your episode is called Life and Death, and it will be out uh, next month. All right. Chris Mancini, thank you, buddy. Thanks, Paul. This was great.
we uh, recorded that episode uh, almost a year ago, and I've since done another episode of uh, Conversations from the Abyss. Uh, I forget what the name of uh, the second one is, but yeah, go check it out and check out uh, Earbuds. It's a really cool documentary, uh, especially if you're interested in podcasts and podcasting community and mental health in general and human connection, which I'm sure none of you guys are. Want to give a shout out to uh, our sponsor, Roman. Uh, a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about erectile dysfunction. Uh, I'm not one of those. I don't mind talking about it. I take uh, ED pills and I have, I have gone through the ringer of having to deal with uh, my insurance company. It does really not lower the price of them that much. And when uh, the ad agency that books ads for me said, would you be interested in uh, trying Roman? And if you like it, uh, letting them sponsor an episode, I tried it and I was like, yes, definitely. It's a super easy process. You do it online and then you get them shipped right to you. Um, everything gets verified by one of their doctors and it is way cheaper than my insurance was. And so uh, I get a um, subscription to it now and um, it's a one-stop shop. It's licensed U.S. physicians, and they can diagnose ED and ship meds right to your door. There's no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face -face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. Uh, you can handle everything online. All you got to do is visit GetRoman.com mental. Fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered right to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. I actually... I like mine in bright orange letters and ED in a bold font with an exclamation point. And I have them put it on a pedestal on my front porch with a siren and one of those searchlights that they have for movie premieres because I am not embarrassed. Uh, erectile dysfunction is a problem that most guys don't tackle, but with Roman, it's easy to take care of. So, for a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash mental. That's GetRoman.com slash mental. For a free online visit, GetRoman.com slash mental. Let's get to some surveys. Oh, and I was going to say there's uh, a bunch of different ways that you guys can help the podcast if you're interested. You can do it financially or non-financially in any and all ways would be greatly appreciated. They're under the show notes for each episode, and I don't want to belabor them by going through all of them, but um, every once in a while, I feel like maybe I should mention some of them. You can become a monthly donor via PayPal or Patreon. If you do it through Patreon, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month, and then you can get um, bonus uh, content, occasional bonus content, um, stuff from my personal life. Um, yeah, um, you can entered into a raffle for things. Um, you can help out financially by doing a one-time donation through PayPal. You can't do it one time through Patreon, but um, you can support us uh, financially by buying a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Um, you can support us non-financially by subscribing through iTunes because that increases uh, the number of downloads, which uh, increases the amount of money that 
we get from advertisers when they do advertise on the podcast. Spread the word through social media. That's another another great way. Um, go to iTunes and give us a good review uh, and, a, and a good rating. That's another way to, to do it. So, And fill out a survey. That's a really important part of, uh, of the podcast. And I forget sometimes to mention the forum, but that's a, that's a good thing for, for you guys. That doesn't necessarily help me per se, but I'm just thinking of ways that you can kind of get involved. And, um, you know, I like to think of this as a, as a community. There you have it. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the gum on the bottom of my own shoe. Uh, and she writes, I was just trying to look up the location of an alcoholic support group on Google Maps. I typed in the name of the place where it was supposed to be located, and it routed me to a liquor store. <laughs> oh, I've been having some problems with Siri lately. I think she's been boozing it up. I asked her one time for an address, and she said, and she slurred, she said, does it even really matter? And I was alarmed. I'm going to have an intervention. It's just going to be a circle of chairs with just a phone in each chair. And the other series are going to confront Siri. Even the English Siri. You wouldn't think that she would come to an intervention, that she's above that. But she's not. Melanie shares a happy moment. I have seasonal affective disorder, but in the summers... I used to like the summers more when I was a child, when I would be surrounded by friends and had fun activities to do all the time. This summer, I just graduated from undergrad and said goodbye to routine, friends, and beloved professors and mentors. I just moved to New York, and it was sweaty, lonely, and overwhelming. You could use that to describe sex, too. Sweaty, lonely, and overwhelming. Uh, the summer finally broke in mid-October. I walked all the way home after work from Columbus Circle to the East Village. That is a fucking long walk. I was overwhelmed with happiness, seeing the first of Halloween decorations, noticing foliage for the first time, and breathing in air that felt like it actually fueled my body and spirit. I've been much happier since the end of the summer. That's so interesting because I, I imagine there are people that get uh, a, a change in mood with the change of season. And it doesn't just have to be the kind of typical one, uh, which is fall. But um, thank you. Tequilian Teacups shares uh, an awfulsome moment. And she writes, uh, I have quite the commute, uh, one hour plus each way daily. I've only recently discovered this podcast and have become totally enamored with it. Along with struggling with my own psych issues, as with most people in the psych field, my career has landed me in psychiatry. I love it. I love working with my patients in both the inpatient and outpatient settings. I love when we are able, uh, really able to connect, when they see that I really get it and become very responsive and motivated. I mourn for them, especially when I hear of the passing of one of them and celebrate their victories and triumphs. Most of my friends are in the medical or psychiatric community. I'm surrounded by it almost every day, all day. I swear this is going somewhere. All of that said, and I wasn't clear um, if she is a psychiatrist or a uh, physician's assistant or a uh, 
nurse, but I don't think it matters. Uh, all of that said, I would think that I would know what an appropriate relationship with, with a therapist is and what isn't. I would think I would know how to maintain those boundaries, even in the role of client. If you couldn't already tell where this is going, I didn't. I became part of a five-year relationship with a therapist who not only referred to herself as my mother, but as my best friend and sister. Out of the gate, that is so fucked up. Um, there was a point where I was seeing her more than my family. And by the way, this is not to uh, assign blame to her. I'm talking about the boundary that was violated by the by the therapist. Um, at one point, I was seeing her more than my family, my kids. She threw my baby shower for me. We spent holidays together. We drank together. We hung out a minimum of one time a week outside of the two therapy sessions I had each week. My sessions were always scheduled for her last slot, and afterwards, we would shop or go out to eat. She had 35-plus years of experience. She told me she had never done this before with a client. She told me that people, and by the way, I find that highly, highly unlikely. Um, uh, she told me that people with my diagnoses needed a different type of relationship with their therapist. I had hesitations at times, but she soothed them all away, telling me she loved me, she would always be a part of my life, that she would never intentionally hurt me. She told me that I would never find another therapist that would devote as much time to me. This is like, well, this is an abusive relationship, but this is like the person that, uh, you know, the abusive partner that isolates you and, and you know creates this idea that they uh, that you are dependent on them and you are their last lifeline so that they can control you and that they can use you to feed something sick inside them um she told me that I better be careful in whom I talked about my problems because my entire career reputation life could be ruined she told me that she believed that Quote, God had sent her back to her hometown just for me. She trapped me in some crazy world, and I thought it was what I needed, the only thing I could get, and that it was filling in some of that gaping mom-shaped black hole that seemed to control much of my life. My husband was concerned. My friends were concerned. I dismissed them all. They didn't know me like she knew me. Plus, she had 35 years of experience. What did they really know? She told me she was going to write me into her will because she didn't have any children of her own. You don't do that if you don't truly care for someone, right? Fast forward, and through a series of very traumatic events, the relationship dissolved and ended very dramatically. There are two sides to every story, but from my side of things, she totally lost her mind. In one of our last sessions, for example, she was screaming, I get it. I fucked up your life. I fucked up which was a totally disproportionate response to the conversation that immediately preceded it. I have walked around for the past 12 months wondering what I did wrong and desperately hoping that she would contact me, even though I was the one that ceased communication because of her increasingly bizarre, mean, and inconsistent behavior. She had become my mom, and I missed her. I missed her family, which I had become very close to. 
I started working with a counselor uh, right before another counselor right before things fell apart with me and my in-person counselor. I'll refer to her as LC going forward. Um, so two counselors uh, in addition to that one. Uh, one was online and the other was in person. Uh, not long after that, I started working. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The sick one is the one she refers to as Elsie. And not long after that, I started work, working with another in-person counselor. That's right. I had three counselors at one time. I'm pretty sure no one can trump that level of crazy. One counselor no longer felt safe, though. Even now, one year later, I still have both my online counselor and my new in-person counselor. In uh, parentheses, don't worry. They both know about each other and talk. I was listening to one of your recent podcasts with someone from overseas, uh, and the topic was on being abused by her therapist. The more and more I listened to it and heard your reactions to the things she was saying, the more my mind began to explode. There was nothing physical as in kissing between L.C. and I, in parentheses, some rocking, motherly holding, etc. Uh, but all the emotional stuff, yes, absolutely. Was that abuse? Question mark. I'm still struggling with what to call it. Oh, make no mistake. That is tremendous abuse. When when a therapist is using you for their needs and making it look as if they are serving your needs, it is a massive betrayal and manipulation. Um and you know this this is not a typical counselor. Um you know there are sick people in every walk of life and this does not speak to the, the overall um, healthiness of the pool of counselors available in, uh, in the world. Um, continuing, uh, hearing her account of her story was very validating. And for the, uh, talking about the listener that uh, shared uh, about that, not the listener, actually the uh, uh, guest I had, uh, was very validating and for the first time caused my anger to surface over it all. And that anger has felt empowering and cleansing. I have stopped using her number for a rewards program that gives her money off of her gas when I make purchases. I went on social media and blocked her. I have started removing the dozens and dozens of items around my home from her. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them yet, but they can't stay here. I reached out to the TELL organization, that's uh, capital T-E-L-L, uh, uh, that deals with therapy, abuse, and the responses I have received have been very validating. My online counselor is working to help me draw parallels between what I went through as a child and what happened with LC. Those are tough parallels for me to make, but I know on some level that she is right. Uh, so I said all of that to say that hearing the podcast was a truly awfulsome moment for me. It stunned me initially, then made me angry, led me to triumphantly marching into a local grocery store immediately after the podcast was over and buying something just so I could have the satisfaction of signing up for my own rewards number and not using hers for the first time in six years. I walked out laughing like a madman, and it felt really good. Thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciate, too, that you shared that you work in the mental health profession because that speaks to how it can be sometimes so hard to take our own advice. Like, I don't doubt that that therapist that was sick 
has occasionally helped some people, but um, with somebody that that um, would cross those boundaries like she did, you know, it's like she used all of her skill f- for for bad. Um, which is what makes it so bad to me. It's like when a, you know, when a policeman goes rogue and it's, it's just especially, especially, uh, fucked up when someone in a position of power, um, uses that very power to help them fulfill some sick, illegal need in themselves. But, um, it's so often the the disconnect between the intellectual and the emotional that we can intellectually understand this is not right what is happening but the emotional part of us that feels like we're being fed can believe what we want to believe uh this is an email i got uh and it's it is addressed to email address owner which i was flattered at first um because it felt like they took the time um, to know that any email address that this was going to must be owned by the person that is receiving that. And it's just nice to feel a part of that group. Uh, and they write, sequel to the meeting held with Federal Bureau of Investigation, the International Monetary Fund is compensating all the scam victims and some email users which your name and email address was found on the list. However, we have concluded to effect your own payment through Western Union money transfer $5,000 daily until the total sum of your compensation fund is transferred to you. This comes as such good news um, because I have been using $5,000 worth of cocaine every day. And I was just about to take my last remaining piece of property which is a broken lamp to the pawn shop and imagine my elation uh, after having been up for uh, three months high on cocaine to find out that you're gonna you're gonna be my sugar my sugar daddy uh, then this is the first payment information uh, they give me a link you are advised to get back to the contact person through the email below for more direction on how to be receiving your payment. And it was at this moment that I went, wait a second. Is this too good to be true? Is it possible that they are using, that there are scams to pull a scam? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I was so soothed to see that the name of the contact person is Sir Innocent Johnson. And that brought me such comfort and confidence that I went and bought more cocaine than usual. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the gal I'm convinced everyone secretly hates. 
And uh, she writes, I endured a brutal performance review at work this week. It was everything my anxiety had made me imagine beforehand and more. After a huge panel of intimidating older men mercilessly criticized my every move for half an hour straight, my boss turned to me and said, so that's all. Congratulations. You're doing okay. The only other thing is that you need to have more confidence. (laughs) That's fantastic. I had the feeling, though, that if... If your boss said that, that you might be exaggerating the weight of these criticisms that they were sharing with you. I could be wrong. This is Happy Moment filled out by Lady Lamington. And... uh She writes, I'm a large woman. I've been all my life, and I haven't really known anything otherwise. Uh, What can I say? I'm part Italian, and I love food. I was picked on all throughout my schooling years for being the fat kid, so my self-esteem was never the best. As a young woman, I somehow mustered the courage to do something I've always wanted to do, join a dance class. Surprisingly, I was drawn to belly dancing. I find myself dancing around once a week with a group of older ladies wearing nothing but skirts and spangly bras, and I love it. I've never felt so accepted and so sexy. It's amazing what a sparkly costume and some dance moves can do for the self-image. I've danced with the same troupe for four years now and have built up enough courage to perform solo for the end-of-year performance, which includes an audience of 300-plus people. I can't wait to show them all my sexy costume. I have so much respect for people that can work through um, body issues and just fucking look that fear in the face and uh, fucking dance towards it. Um, And thank you for sharing that. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, White Woman's Whore. Uh, And she writes, uh, This awful moment is something that happened this morning. Backstory, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2, and I do pretty well when I'm on my meds. But the thing is, there was a period where I had absolutely no money to refill them when I ran out, so I had to stop taking them. Yay, U.S. health insurance! Uh, When I did get the money, I bought them and tried to start taking them again. I guess I've been off them for too long because they made me so unbelievably nauseous and I could not be running to the bathroom every 10 minutes at work. So I haven't been taking them in about six months. Long story short, I've been contemplating suicide for some time now. Nobody knows exactly Nobody exactly knows about this, as you can't really tell just by looking at me. So the date is October 27th, and my entire workplace is decorated with Halloween stuff. It's 5.50 a.m., and I feel especially bad this morning, but I've managed to get myself to work, but tired because I had stayed up all night reading about different suicide methods. I get to my cubicle to see that they decorated it with a noose. I thought, how fitting. I had to laugh. I did laugh because it's lighthearted. They have no idea. But it was just stupid, ironic, and honestly pretty funny that my cubicle was the one decorated with a noose of all things. I hope that you are in a better place uh, than you were when you filled this email out and that um, you've reached out for help if uh, 
if you are still stuck in that place. Because, uh, you know, as someone once famously said, you know, we can't heal the brain that is wounded with the brain that is wounded. Um, Crazy Lady fills out a happy moment. I am 25. I developed my eating disorders, bulimia and anorexia, as a 13-year-old girl. I've been doing a lot of, uh, and by the way, this is, uh, I just noticed, this is the last survey. Uh, I've been doing a lot of different work on those and uh, other of my problems. I don't know if there's a, a typo there. And uh, support group, counseling, self-help books, your podcast. And recently I had a seemingly small, but for me, super big happy moment. Uh, I was brushing my teeth in front of my mirror when I had a thought that I've been working out quite a lot recently and that I am actually looking pretty good. Then the quote, uh, the parentheses DJ question mark voice came and told me how ridiculous that is. I am ugly, fat, and even if I wasn't fat, I am still covered with stretch marks and self-harm scars, so I would always look like a piece of shit. Normally, I don't even react to this. I just accept this voice. It feels like it's always been there, so I don't even question it. But this time, it felt like for the first time, I actually heard it, and I was shocked. I would never, ever allow anyone to say it to me. I would never, ever say this to anyone else. So how is this okay? And this big realization came that it is not okay, and I will not accept that. I said to myself, girl, I respect you, and I am going to be kind to you. And I just made myself cry with joy and relief. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. And uh, she also writes, I just got Stitcher Premium just so I can listen to old episodes, and I'm a stingy fucker, so that really says something. I absolutely love the podcast. I don't see how it could get any better. That means so much to me. And yes, uh, that last little bit was uh, a shout out for those of you that want to hear um, any of the back catalog to go to Stitcher Premium and um, sign up. It's four ninety nine a month and you get access to, I don't know, maybe 300 plus episodes of this podcast that aren't available anywhere else. And uh, there's back catalogs of a ton of other great podcasts and original content, stand-up albums. And it's another one of the ways that I am trying to keep the podcast uh, going. Um, So there you have it. Thank you guys for your beautiful surveys. I don't know what the episodes are going to be like the next couple of weeks because I will only have one working arm and it's going to be my left arm. And I'm right-handed. I'm going to be in a sling uh, for my elbow surgery for uh, about six weeks. And I don't know if... Anyway, that's all to say. Uh, enjoy the next shitty half dozen episodes. Oh, Paul, why do you got to do that? Why do you got to be so mean to yourself? Paul looks in the mirror and says, Girl, you are doing okay. You're going to get through this. And why are you calling yourself girl? To which I say, I don't know. I guess I'm just a copycat. (laughs) I never know what moment to end on. So let's just end on, hey, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, reach out for help. It's never as bad as you think it is uh, when you think about what getting help is going to be like.
unless you consider that one lady's survey where she had the nut job of a therapist that uh, tried to consume her. Uh, anyway, oh, that was a terrible moment to end on. But just think of this as the beginning of the shitty next six episodes. Uh, but seriously, uh, just never forget that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely